Hi, everyone. Welcome again to another episode of the Mountain Stories podcast from the Institute for Mountain Research at Westminster College here in Salt Lake City. The goal of the Institute is to think deeply about our connection to the mountains and to share the stories about the people who live, work, and play in them. This summer, that has meant that we've been collaborating with Dr. Shomei Pu as we collect and share stories of Asian American immigrants, refugees, and other Asian people who have made a home here in the Salt Lake Valley. Today we hear from Kripa Tapa. Kripa comes to us from Nepal and has recently graduated from the Master's Program in Geography and Geographic Information Science from the University of Utah. Here's her story. My name is Kripa Sapa, and I was born and raised in one of the most beautiful countries in the world, that is Nepal. Currently, I am pursuing my master's in geography at the University of Utah, where I'm also working as a graduate teaching assistant for my home department. Um, I teach the introduction to geographic information systems and cartography to a group of 60 students who come from both graduate and undergraduate levels. Um, along with that, I'm also working as a United Nations volunteer, uh, where I'm volunteering remotely uh, for a nonprofit organization based in Cameroon called the Association for Community Awareness. And my role there is basically to draft um, grant proposals related to various environmental issues. So the reason that I was actually drawn to the program was that it's really interdisciplinary. And there's this aspect of physical geography and there's also this aspect of human geography. And I, my research plan is to bridge the gap between those two. So I'm gonna be looking at physical aspects of um, snow hydrology while also addressing various socioeconomic variables in Nepal. So I think it's, I think it's a really great subject. Uh, I did my undergraduate degree in environmental science from Kathmandu University, that is in Nepal. And I think by the end of my junior year, I sort of had this rough idea of what I wanted to do for my undergraduate research. Um, I wanted to look at the hydrology of Nepal because Nepal is so rich in water resources. And I also wanted uh, to incorporate some chemistry aspect to it. And those two things were set, but I always had like this um, interest in exploring my country and I was not being able to do that while I was at school. So I just sort of approached a few of my faculty members just asking them, is there any particular interesting study site that you're working on? And luckily, one of uh, the faculty members there, who later happened to be my supervisor, um, shout out to Mr. Sandeep Shrestha. So yeah, he actually was kind enough to um, have me on his ongoing research then that was looking at the meltwater chemistry of glaciers. The glacier is located um, in Manang district, which is basically known as like one of the mountain, mountainous kingdom in Nepal. So that was my like, that was when I sort of like fell in love with mountains and my undergraduate research um, had a really, played a really defining moment for my love for the mountains.
So a lot of um, the trekking trails in Nepal, uh, there are a lot of tea houses just scattered. I used to stop by when I was um, like after finishing like an eight hour trek or something. And um, it was really interesting to just talk to those people like uh, mostly they belong to um, an ethnic group called Sherpas. So their whole idea of just their language, their culture was so different from what I was accustomed to in um, Kathmandu, where I was like born and raised for like all of my life. And um, yeah, and I think I had like a really um, poignant conversation with the hotel owner. Um, she was this really warm lady and she was running the hotel all by herself with um, minor help from her daughter. And the conversations I had with both of them was so contrasting. So the hotel owner's name um, uh, is Sonam. So when I was talking to Sonam, she was, she was in her late 40s and I used to ask her like, there's a lot of hardship here in the mountains. Do you ever feel like going to um, any city in the lowlands? And she kind of fired back at me saying, I am the daughter of mountains, are you not? And I think I sort of had like an existential <laughs> crisis at that moment, but um, yeah, she was very content with her life. And I think she is a very resilient woman during the time when there are not a lot of tourists pouring in. They have to shut down all the hotels and they have to move down to uh, downstream where uh, they won't be, I don't know, subjected to any natural hazards or like just the adverse climatic conditions there. And so I asked her like, so when your business is down, what do you do? And she told me that she recently had started knitting sweaters. So she had like a backup business. So I think she was a very smart lady. And while I was talking to her daughter, um, Lakpa, Lakpa wanted to get out of the mountains. She was like, I want to explore the city. I want to be exposed to new opportunities. But um, deep down, I think she did feel a lot for strongly for her community as well. In Nepal, we named the mountains according to their hierarchy. So like based on the elevation. So, and also like the conditions. So for snow-capped mountains, we call them Himal. So that sort of is derived from the word Himalaya or how, or him, or how like the pronunciation goes here, Himalayas. Mm -hmm. So we call them Himal. So when the mountains are not covered in snow, we have a different name for it. We call them, we call them Pahad. There's like this um, hills that surrounds Kathmandu Valley and those are mounds and we call them daras. So it's basically according to hierarchy. And Nepal has um, like a distinct range of mountains that there are Himalayas and there's the Mahabharata range and there's the Chure range. So yeah, we have like a lot of mountains varying in like, topo like they have topographic variation, um, the steepness varies. Um, since I grew up in city and both of my parents were like really, they had like really busy schedules. We often make it a point to like travel to like 
nearby um, hilltops where we can get like this wonderful picturesque view of the Himalayas stretching um, on the northeastern side of the city. I think mountains are a part of our daily conversation. We do take pride in having the highest mountain of the world. So like Mount Everest, like whenever we meet people from other countries, I think the first thing that pops up is the conversation of housing eight of the highest 10 peaks of the world and Mount Everest being one of them. Yeah, I think we do take pride in that. So besides having like a really, um, the richness in terms of natural resources and geography, Nepal also has like a distinctive taste of cultural heritage. Mm -hmm. And I think that sort of plays um, into just shaping this Nepali mythology and folklore. One of the most talked about uh, mountain stories is that of an abominable snowman mm -hmm. called Yeti, which is, I think, similar to Bigfoot and Sasquatch here in North America. When I was little, I used to hear stories about this ape-like creature who used to just live in the Himalayas and not allow any humans to pass through it because the mountains are so pristine and untouched and they were sort of these um, protectors of the mountains. Uh, I think my parents tweaked the story a little so that I wouldn't get so scared. <laughs> um, but yeah, the, like my cousins, they used to get really scared when they heard of the term Yeti. They used to, like we used to hear stories about how this creature would walk around like, mm -hmm. Uh, slouching and just like grunting and crying and just picking up children and sort of stuff like that. But I always found it really intriguing uh, rather than like terrified of it. Since my childhood, I have had the opportunity to visit these hilltops, mountaintops, and even um, while doing my undergraduate research, I was very much fortunate enough to have traveled to these beautiful places in Nepal, but I think um, the most like defining moment for me would be when I was conducting my undergraduate research. I think I encountered um, like moments of like epiphany, which was so therapeutic for me as well. Looking at this from like a metaphorical point of view, I am someone like who has, I think we all do have sort of this fear of like when we take on a particular task of just being anxious of whether we can complete it or not. And we go back and forth. Uh, we have second thoughts about it. But I think mountains teach us to have like a different perspective when you're at the top. And I think I learned that from my trip. So like when you reach at the middle point of the mountain, you see a different view. When you reach to the other side, you see a different view. And when you reach the top, the perspective or whatever preconceived notion you have kind of changes. And no matter how difficult the ascent is, um, when you reach the top, the view is worth all the climb and all the hard work. When I look at the mountains, I get um, really caught up in my emotions, like in a good way. So it sort of sparks up that poet in me, that writer in me, and I think it's really inspiring. When I look at the north side of the mountain and the south side, I just see like, even when life goes down south, you can always take in the sunshine, look at the positive side of it, and just thrive in spite of whatever difficult situation you're in. So I think, I think we can learn a lot from how resilient these mountains are. And they are just, they're not just like structures or landscapes. There are 
they mean a lot to me personally. Well, the thing is, like, um, I spent most of my, um, like, the longest time uh, while I was doing my undergraduate research, which was in Manang. So um, the range that I saw there was, or the mountain that was, seemed like right there on my face was Mount Nilgiri. Mm -hmm. And although I didn't, like, ascend it because it's like, I don't know, really high, but um, I think just looking at it, like every day when my research was not going, okay, I would just like take a moment, take a, take a deep breath and just look at the beauty of it. Um, but yeah, there is like other mountain called the Fishtail Mountain or Machaputre, which you can see from a city called Pokhara, which is a tourist destination in Nepal because it's a gateway to a lot of um, popular trekking trails. So Fishtail Mountain is clearly visible from like any of the rooftops in Pokhara's. Yeah, I really enjoy watching that. And just the majestic Annapurna range is pretty good. Like, I don't know. I don't think I have like a favorite, but yeah, I just tend to address the beauty of all of those. I've been here for over a year. So I came here in August, 2019. So yeah, so my supervisor here, um, at the U told me that there are mountains nearby and I was and I asked her okay what mountains are you talking about and she was like those right there that you can see from the window and I was like okay <laughs> you have like a different meaning to mountains here than what I was like accustomed to back home and um, she was like yeah, because she's worked in Nepal before. She was like, oh, I'm so sorry. Like, this must be disappointing for you. I'm like, no, they're still pretty. <laughs> Over the summer, um, when my schedule was not super hectic, I used to go on a weekly hike with my friends. And I did get to explore the Wasatch Mountain Range quite a bit, um, especially the lakes that are up in Brighton. Um, the three lakes, Lake Mary, I forgot the name the other two, but yeah, that was really pretty. And the waterfalls uh, in the lower canyon, Bell, lower Bell Canyon, yeah, that was pretty nice. I went to Provo for one, to visit one of the bridal veils, shower, something like that, yeah, waterfalls. So yeah, I noticed a few differences. Um, I think the one that's pretty um, out there already is like, the mountains here are pretty dry and the vegetation is sparse compared to Nepal, where like you have these beautiful lush greenery in the foothills above, like, sorry, below the snow line. And I think we, as a culture in Nepal, we tend to see mountains as these sacred pilgrimage sites. So we have Hindu temples on top. We have stupas and Buddhist monasteries, which I didn't see here. And I'm not sure there might be a church up there or something, or there might not be. So yeah, so that was uh, one of like the notable differences that I spotted. And for sure, like our trails are not super defined as here. I know that when I used to trek back home, like 
we used to sort of have to just follow the person that was in front of us or the porter or a guide. Um, here, the trails are pretty well organized and structured. And I think um, tea houses are a big part of our trekking culture back home, which I did not see here. When I came to the US, uh, being a very um, attached person to the family, like I had a difficult time adjusting and um, I did experience like a cultural shock at the beginning, but uh, whenever I used to walk out of the library and my home department building, I used to see like the mountains surrounding the valley and that sort of was kind of like took me back home because I was always used to seeing mountains surrounding me and I think the mountains here did a did like did a similar job to some extent. Um, yeah, I really appreciate the beauty of the mountains here in Utah, despite of their height. <laughs> yeah. When uh, when we start trekking, so like the foothills have like a lot of maps and like instructions and I don't know notes, um, stuff like that. But when we reach to a certain point. Um, we have like no guidelines or anything. So you're sort of just lost. And I think that sense of wanderlust, that true meaning of that word kind of like comes alive. And I think here you spot like a lot of people because I usually have hiked during the weekends. You never feel alone, but sometimes you wish to just like be alone. Uh, which just it's just you and the nature, just listening to the river flowing, just like listening to birds chirping and stuff like that. Yeah, I do miss that from home. And just like connecting to people, like if you get lost, if you just like wait on a trail, you're eventually going to like see like a local passing by, which is always great because there are so many communities like living in the mountains back home, like. The settlements are all the way up to like 5,000 5, meters, which is like 14,000 feet. My undergraduate research dealt with glacial meltwater chemistry, uh, but now I am actually um, conducting a water vulnerability assessment at sub-basin levels uh, for the entire country, Nepal, and I'm particularly interested in evaluating the impacts of glacier shrinkage on the downstream population. So there are still aspects of, um, I don't know, like fighting for uh, mountain communities, like building resilient mountain communities and being the voice for the voiceless. Nepal has abundant water resources. So we have like 6,000 rivers and we get plenty of um, water during the monsoon season from rainfall. But when there's dry season, a lot of these mountain communities rely on snowpack melting or glacier melt. I sort of want to just emphasize on that aspect. My research is definitely going to um, be useful for just planning a framework or working on behalf of these mountain communities, just making sure that they are safe and well 
from any sort of like natural hazards such as like glacial lake outburst flood outburst flood or like avalanches earthquakes and just making sure that their water supply is constant and that they understand how their water is being supplied if things go well um i plan to actually conduct like workshops in nepal that actually encourages hotel owners like sonam to participate as citizen scientist so that they can participate in my research too for my preliminary analysis for my research here at the u i had to um see like how much area is changing in terms of glaciers when i did like decadal changes it was very interesting and sad to see the amount of change in the glaciated areas i definitely think that the first victims of climate change are going to be people who are living at such high elevations because and particularly in terms of nepal you have these communities that have been living there since like hundreds of years and they've sort of built um their life around just tourism and just like very minimum agriculture cultural practices and a lot of their economic conditions is restricted by the adverse climatic conditions that there is the rugged topography lack of arable arable land where they can actually harvest good amount of produce limited access to markets lack of infrastructure and always this danger of being toppled down by like an avalanche or any sort of other natural hazards so i definitely think that we might be seeing a lot of like immigration due to climate change i think people are considering moving in the lowlands in nepal for sure yeah i definitely think that the conflicts are like bound to arise because uh, like let's just talk in terms of water resources so our hydro basins are do not align with our admin boundaries so nepal is divided into these uh seven provinces and the boundaries for these watersheds and the province boundaries kind of overlap so there's going to be like if one hydro basin is facing high vulnerability um or like water scarcity then that's because the other people or other communities are also um asking for those water to be distributed or asking for that water to be accessible to everyone so i think it's not a smooth process i think that's why people just tend to live in communities that they are so comfortable in it's very tricky i would like to be identified as an international graduate student so um i did not apply to the us to <laughs> migrate from nepal i love my country dearly i'm just here because i want to learn more about how i can be um a significant asset when i return so that i can transfer all the technical skills that i've learned here and sort of build my networking uh, skills i think i do have this um anxiety that's been lingering because i want to work for like certain years before i go back to nepal so i just feel like 
the people that are hiring me for these uh, job openings, how much do they weigh my background as um, an international student or my visa status? Like, is my competency enough or will that be not enough? Or will they select a U.S. national um, despite that person not being the best person for the job? So I think there's this anxiety that's lingering in the background, but but like so far, um, all the people here in Utah have been super nice to me. So I haven't had like um, any like negative experience. I would really love it if people would recognize or just see mountains as not just this beautiful landscape, but um, see them as ecosystems see them as water towers and see them as a shelter for the people. Um, the mountain ecosystems are often overlooked in terms of biodiversity, but very little people know about this, but uh, mountains have these um, highest amount of diversity when it comes to vascular plant species, such as pine and fir, spruce, and there's a very diverse group of fauna there too, like you see snow leopards, um, Himalayan tar, golden eagle, yaks. So yeah, it's very rich in biodiversity too. Mountains do provide ecosystem services, such as they dilute all of the pollutants that um, go in there in the lowlands, and they provide nutrients to aquatic life. Um, furthermore, I think um, the main essential feature of mountains is that they're a source of water, right? So they are these water towers and they sort of capture all of the uh, moisture from air masses and they trap it into snowpacks. And when these, when the precipitation falls as snow, um, it is stored there for a certain period of time and then it is melted during the dry season. So I think it is very important for people to realize that not all of our water comes from rainfall and that glaciers and snow that are in the mountains also play a very significant role in providing um, essential water um, um, services like providing irrigation, agriculture, hydropower generation. That's always there. And uh, finally, I think we should see mountains as these shelters because one-fifth of the Earth's surface is covered by mountains. That's like 24%. And we have like 600 million people residing in mountains. And I think it's important to address that and it's important to bring that into limelight because like I said before, like the first victims of climate change are going to be people living in the mountains. And I think we need to... Um, just look for ways to make it more, to make their livelihoods more sustainable and resilient. No, I think I'm just like very grateful for this opportunity and I would just like to thank you and the team for just asking me to come here. I had a great time just sharing my story.
Thank you, Kripa, for sharing your story with us. Our next guest will be Nikki Navio. Nikki was born on Penang Island in the Philippines and moved to Alaska when she was young. She moved to Utah in the summer of 2019 and currently works as an urban planner with Wasatch Front Regional Council, where she helps develop regional transportation plan that prioritizes transportation mobility investments over the next 30 years on the Wasatch Front. Thanks to the Whiting Foundation Public Engagement Programs for supporting the project with a seed grant. I also want to extend another thanks to Dr. Pooh for inviting us. Uh, thanks to the Westminster College for their support. Thanks to Jeff Nichols for being my co-director. And thank you all for listening. Westminster is located on the traditional and ancestral lands of the Ute, the Goshute, and the Shoshone peoples. And finally, thanks to Pixie and the Partygrass Boys for our theme music. As Naomi used to say all the time, they are awesome and you should check them out. See you next time. Bye.